Church, our song, church sings pretty good, I think. I almost feel bad telling you not to sing for a verse because you do sing pretty good. I love it, and the Lord loves it too. Uh, today we're going to be speak, we're going to be looking at uh, Psalm 100. Um, it's one of the psalms that not only teaches us about worship but calls us to it and really tells us to do it. So it's one of those things that has a lot to say to us about what we do this morning. Uh, so let me read it to you. It's Psalm 100. It's printed for you on the sermon notes. It's also printed. It'll be displayed on the screen as well. Uh, this is a psalm for giving thanks, a, a song for giving grateful praise. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Why? For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Would you pray with me? Lord God, Heavenly Father, we stare up at the sky. We stare into the scriptures that your Holy Spirit inspired. Jesus, we gaze at the cross and our hearts overflow with thanks. Uh, so I pray today that we pray together today that the words that I speak this morning might not only instruct your people about worship but lead them to worship. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditating of our hearts as we hear and think about and meditate and, and turn over in our minds and in a positive way, stew on your, on your word. Let these words as, that we ponder, let it all be pleasing in your sight, God. You alone are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. He, try to imagine this with me. He stood in the midst of this pristine, perfect creation. He, his senses, eyes, ears, hands, it, the, his senses took in all that God had made, all that God had done. He gazed at the trees and he picked the fruit and it was juicy and delicious. There were no worms in it. He reached over and picked up a bean and he snapped it and it was fresh and clean. He, he stood in the middle of this grand creation and his heart just sighed a psalm of praise to God. And as Adam woke from a God-induced sleep and God presented his wife Eve to him, as Adam stood in the middle of this thing that God had made that God had said is very good, Adam worships. At last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. God, you did a good thing. Adam worshiped. He couldn't help it. A mother holds her child in her hands. The doctor just cut the cord so the baby's still a little dirty. 
and she holds the child close to her chest. And her husband looks on. And together, they say a song of praise. God did a good thing. They worship. They can't help it. The, the setting wasn't quite so peaceful or serene. Except, in fact, the, the man in question wasn't even on his feet. He was in the dirt and on the dust after messenger after messenger had come to him and said, your, your crops have been destroyed. Your property has been stolen. Your children have all been killed in a tragic building collapse. As Job sat there in the dust, it was a far cry from the perfection of Eden. It was a, a far cry from the joy that Adam felt when God gave him Eve. And yet as Job kneeled there in the dust, he worshipped. The Lord gave and the Lord take away, took away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I've seen it, and maybe you have too, situations in life where it's hardly a moment for jokes. It's hardly a moment for laughter. It's hardly a moment for cheering and clapping and standing and you rah rah moments in church. But I've seen them, and maybe you do too. Maybe it's something that pastors have an inside glimpse at. We, we stand at the side of a bed in the hospital, and though you ask how they are, and they tell you, and I'm not so good, do you really want to know, pastor? But as you sit and hold a hand at the side of a hospital bed, there's worship there too. The Lord has me in his hands, Pastor. I know that. And as we come before the church and we lay our hands on the casket of a loved one, there's worship there too. Because we know that our Redeemer lives. Be because we know that, my Lord, my God, when I, an awesome wonder, survey all the things your hand have made, Lord Jesus, I, I hear the angels, I hear the thunder, I know you're coming back. Even there at the saddest moments of our lives, there's worship there too. See, one of the things I would have you think about today as we consider worship on the basis of Psalm 100 is, is this basic fact is that we were made to worship. We, we were made to lift up our psalms and our praise. We were lift up. We, we were made to do this thing called worship, but maybe you don't raise your hands. But sometimes we're not feeling it. So, sometimes we have a little more of a resting grumpy face than a resting happy face. We're discouraged. Sometimes the joy swells and swells and swells like air in a balloon, but then in a moment it pops and it's gone. This idea of worship, that we're all made to worship and it's a thing that our life is to be about, seems to be this, this ever-evasive thing. So maybe this morning we'll take a moment just to understand what worship is. And by the way, I just want to say this up front. There were a lot of things I cut out of my sermon because it would have gone on forever. 
So I'm going to try to narrow our understanding of worship and just talk about it this morning on the basis of Psalm 100. Worship is, and I'll say it first of all, there's no particular order to these things. Worship is first of all an overflow of joy. It was what Adam did in the Garden of Eden when, when God brought him Eve. Think about this. God had said, and now Adam came to realize that God had said that it was not good for the man to be alone. Then Adam came to realize that when he named all the animals, and then God brought him Eve, his perfect counterpart in every way, Right? It was, for Adam, it was this overflow of joy. And for us, worship is this overflow of joy when we realize and we ponder who God is and what he's done for us. Worship is also this overflow of, of hope. It's what Abraham did. Read through the account of Abraham and you'll notice this, this refrain. Adam, or Abraham, he tented with his family, and then he got to a new place, and then he built an altar, and there called in the name of the Lord. That's worship. And he packed up his tents, and he moved to another place. There he built an altar to the Lord and called in the name of the Lord. It's worship. And what's, what's Abraham doing? It's, it's kind of this liturgy of hope that God's going to give him the son that he promised, that God's going to do for Abraham what he promised, that God's going to give him this land, that God's going to give him a son, that through Abraham all nations on earth will be blessed. blessed. Worship is this overflow of hope because we know the God in whom we trust, that he's a God, he's the God who raises the dead. With Job, it's a little different, right? Because you can hardly say that Job was like, yes, my family died. It's hardly that. For, for Job, worship, when he, when he knelt there before the Lord on the dust, worship was more an overflow of, of trust and of faith in his God. Because there at the beginning of Job's story, you maybe know it well. Read Job chapter 1 and 2 if you haven't read it before. Job sits there in the dust and he just trusts God. All the things that were of any comfort and joy to him in his life were gone. Even his wife had told him to curse God and die. There was no real support for Job except God. And so as Job sat there in the dust, he, he trusted God. Faith, worship is this overflow of, of faith and trust. Worship, you could say, is also this. I'm going to stop after this one. Worship is also this overflow of longing. I wonder what it's like for Paul and Silas when they're in the depths of prison. I wonder what it was like for them in the depths of prison when their feet were in stocks and they had just been beaten. I wonder what it was like for them to sing hymns. Maybe you could say it's a little more like Job, this trust, this faith, but it's longing that God will do for me what he said he's going to do. Maybe that's hope. Maybe that's joy. I don't know how, what kind of adjective you want to put to it, but, but worship is, to put it simply, worship is this overflow of I'm looking up at God, and as I trust in him, as I hold on to his promises, as I hold on to him, my heart overflows, sometimes loudly, sometimes quietly, with worship. The other thing I want to say about worship is that worship is this holistic response. It's, it's this whole body thing. 
I want you to look at, the, look at this with me because I didn't put it on the screen. But I want you to see how when the psalmist urges us to worship, it's a whole us, a whole me thing. So first of all, he says that worship is mental, right? It's a mind thing. So right there in the smack dab in the middle of verse 3, know that the Lord is God. Right? He's, he's calling on us to, to know, to remember, to call to mind, to ponder, to think about, to engage with our minds, to turn it over in our mind. Know that the Lord is God as he who made us. We are his, the sheep of his pasture. We are his people. Right, so first of all, worship is mental, but it's not just mental. It's not just this reasoning thing. It's not just this thing that we think about. Right? Worship is also physical. Did you notice he says, come, right? There's this physical movement. Come before him with joyful songs. Verse 4, enter his courts with thanksgiving. If you want to get even more physical, turn back in your Bibles if you have them open to Psalm 95. Come, let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Right? So worship is physical. That's why we stand up and sit down and fold our hands and raise our hands. These, that's why we do these things because worship is a physical embodied thing. It's also a verbal thing. Right? Maybe that could go along with physical, but do you notice this? It's something that we say. Shout, verse 1. Come before him with joyful songs. It's something that we sing about. Enter his courts with thanksgiving. We're saying things we're thankful for. Enter his courts with praise. We're saying things. Give thanks to him. So it's something that we're verbalizing. It's something we're saying. So it's mental. It's physical. It's verbal. It's also emotion. I know that's the one that Lutherans aren't super comfortable with. I know it's not. We're very, we're very comfortable with the mental, the reasoning. But do you notice, come before him with what kind of songs? Joyful, right? In other words, there's this thing that's, that's flowing up from us that's joyful. And maybe if, our, if the worship isn't joyful, maybe if it's hopeful, there's a longing nature to it. Right? Notice how some of our songs are very boisterous and joyful, and some of them are much more, let's think about this. Let's express our, there's some songs that move us to weep. Sometimes there's, a life story that's connected to it, but there's also this, the song itself and the truth of the song leads us to long, right? It comes from within and we're longing for the truth to be fulfilled, right? See, worship is all, it's this, it's this we don't just come here and listen. We do that too. But we, we worship with, with, with all of us, with, with our whole being, as we lift up our hearts with praise and hope and trust and longing, as we stand up and rise with our bodies or sit and pray, right? It's this, this is what worship is, and we were made to do it. But again, the question really remains as we consider this is, what, what if I'm not feeling it? What if I'm struggling to get into it? What if... You know, sometimes does it ever feel like you're, when, you, when it comes to worship that it's like you dipped your wand in the bubble thing and you're trying to wave it and the slightest little disturbance in your life just makes it go away? I, I can think back through my own life where I had these moments of like extreme like freedom and joy 
But then like a pebble in the road, like the pea in underneath my bed, all my worship and joy is gone. How do we get it back? I want to suggest two things to you this morning. The first one is this, and this might sound a little bit silly, and in about six months we'll unpack this a little bit more, but I want to kind of get you thinking about it now. Mock, here's the first thing, mock the idols, mock the calf. Let me be, for the next little bit, a little bit over the top, okay? I'm asking your permission, but I'm going to do it no matter whether you like it or not. I'm just giving you warning. Do you think that Israel knew, parents, plug your kids' ears, how stupid they looked? Do you think the people of Israel knew how foolish they looked when they danced around this golden calf? Do you know how silly and foolish and, yes, stupid they looked when they danced around this golden calf and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Do you know how silly they looked? Do you think they knew? They should have, right? They should have understood this. It should have made sense to them. After all, it was their women and their wives and their daughters and their sons and their men who took off all their gold jewelry and gave it to Aaron who melted it down right in front of them and then formed and fashioned it into the calf. That calf that they said was your, their God was a God who came from their pieces of jewelry. I mean, come on. Do you think they knew how foolish they looked when they bowed down to this calf and called it the God? By the way, let's not forget that this is just a few weeks after God parted the Red Sea. It was not the calf who parted the Red Sea. It was God who did it. I wonder what people thought. I wonder what people thought. I wonder what the nations in the wilderness thought when they, when they watched Israel with their bright fire and their golden calf singing songs to this piece of, this hunk of metal. The problem is, though, the crowds around them, the people around them, they, they actually thought the same way. They were, they were just as dumb. They, they would, I'm, I'm channeling a little bit of Jeremiah right now, they would head off to the forest and cut down a tree and half of the tree, they'd carve into this idol, this bale, this Asherah pole. They'd t take half of the tree and make a bale, and they'd worship that. And then the other piece of the tree, they'd use to cook their dinner. So which is it? A god or fuel for the fire? Should be fuel for the fire. But they called it God. See, what, ch what challenges us in our worship, it's this natural human inclination in us to worship created things, trees, gold, calves, money, property, possessions, you know the list. It's the natural human inclination, even of Christians who know better, 
To, to put something that's less than God in the place of God, to call that thing God, and then when that thing is gone, we're, our life is ruined. When that thing is gone, then our life is destroyed. When we don't get what we, from that thing that we were hoping to get, that's when worship disappears. Because that thing can't deliver. That person can't deliver. That's why I'm saying to you, you have to mock the idols. And that's why I was being ridiculous. Because I was trying to give you an example of what we want to do with these calves that rise up in our lives. We got to just make fun of them. And make them appear to be what they really are. Golden calves. Hunks of metal, fuel for the fire. We, we have to make fun of them because they're all, they are not God. And if we treat them as God, they are only worthy of our mockery. That's the first thing I'll say. We have to mock the, the calf and take it down from its pedestal. And two... We elevate the Lord, all caps. If you have the sermon notes in front of you, or if you have your Bible in front of you, I want you just to notice what's smack dab in the middle of the psalm. Look what's right there, verse 3. Before this comes shouts or encouragements to shout and worship and come. After this, our encouragement to enter and give thanks because the Lord is good. But what's right in the middle? Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. See, in Hebrew poetry, this is a big deal. The thing that's in the middle is the most important thing. The thing that's in the middle is the thing that the poet wants to highlight. The thing that's in the middle is where God wants us to focus. See, like, like the hub of a wheel, all of our life flows out of this truth that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. This is where the psalmist, the psalms as a whole have been driving the entire time. Back in Psalm 89, the, the poet was discouraged and depressed he wondered if God loved him. He wondered if God was in control. But I, here's, here's the challenge for you. Read Psalm 90 to 100, and over the next 10 Psalms, there's this repeat. It's not a refrain, but it is this repeated truth. There is one king. There is one Lord, and he's on his throne. The Lord, know that the Lord is God. Do you see how the psalmist places God on his throne right where he belongs? See, all of our life is under him. All the things that we have in our life are from him. There's this truth that God is sovereign and ruling and mighty and on his throne. Know that the Lord is God. It's a truth. It is he who made us. With his hands, he formed us. Can I be more personal? 
with His hands, He formed you carefully, intricately, lovingly. And not just in the womb, throughout your entire life, God's hands have been on you. And I'm realizing I'm preaching another sermon. But right throughout your life, God has been shaping you and molding you and making you who you are, which is to say, you are God's fault. Everything about your life is God's fault. And I don't mean that negatively like the word fault sometimes implies, but you are, according to your person, according to your body, according to everything, your emotions, your intellect, the way you're wired, you are God's wonderful faults. He formed you with his hands. I'm talking about creation now. It is he who made us and we are his. And we are his not just because of creation, first article things, but his also by redemption. See, we were once far from him, alienated from him. As our worship of calves shows, we were once far from him, but God came to us while we were dancing around the golden calf. He came to us by his son and he said, nope, he snatched us from the fire. You are his. He made us again. Washing our sins away, claiming us as his own. It's God's fault that you're in his kingdom. It's God's fault that you're clean. It's God's fault that you're forgiven. Praise God. And all of your life now continues to be God's fault. That he continues to guide and govern and rule and save and gather and forgive. Day after day after day, it continues to be his fault. Because he loves you. And because it is, we have to worship we have to. It is he who made us. We are his. We're the people of his pasture, the sheep of his pasture, the people of his hands. We belong to him. We have to worship. We have to sing. We have to, we have to, even if it's quiet. I don't think Job's praise was very loud. I, I think it was more filled with tears and pain than it was with the joy of Easter morning. But it was worship still. Worship is, is what we do. Just imagine some situations with me where worship happens. Water is poured and words are said. And a person becomes God's. And sins are washed away. It's a moment for worship because God's saving. A husband comes home and everything in his life is going to pieces. A lost job, income gone, 
what are we going to do? And he sits with his wife to pray, to lament first. As they hold their hands, they also lift up a song of praise to their God who will never leave them. It's a moment for worship. Most often, we stand to hear these things, but an ordinary ordinary man says ordinary words, and he says to you, I forgive you your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's such an ordinary, quiet moment, (laughs) but it's a moment for worship because God has forgiven sins. As we hold a gift in our hands from God, whatever that gift happens to be, a gift from our Creator, it's a moment for worship. As a couple tries to understand what is God doing in my life, though they bring their pains and their prayers before God, it's also a moment for worship because they know who has them. As we lay in a hospital bed, perhaps all by ourselves, that too is a moment for worship to the God of our life who has us in His hands. Whether our life is pain or pleasure, win or loss, gladness or sadness, in every moment of life, it is a moment to lift up our hearts with a song of praise to the God of our life. Why? For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness, His faithfulness, True to who he is, his faithfulness continues through all generations. Would you pray with me? Lord God, tune our hearts to sing your praise at all times and in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the God of peace grant you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. Also with you. Amen.